Well, good morning, church. It is my great privilege to be here before you to open God's Word together. And I am excited about what I believe God is going to share with us in the next few moments uh, together. But as you can probably tell, uh, this morning things look different. And I feel like I'm not hearing anything. Try again. Can y'all hear me okay? All right. I'm just not used to not hearing it come back to me. So here we go. Um, I'm really excited about what God is going to share with us this morning. Uh, But I need to kind of help you uh, know a little bit about me uh, because some of you are still uh, trying to figure out who I am just like I'm trying to figure out uh, who you are. Uh, But what you'll find to be true about me is that I am a huge sports fan. I love baseball. I love hockey. I like a lot of other sports, uh, but I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, Now, while I'm a a big St. Louis Cardinal and St. Louis Blues fan, I'm one of these guys that if baseball is on, I don't really care who's playing. I'll watch. Uh, If hockey's on, uh, if it's a good game, I don't really care who's playing. I love to watch. Um, And as you watch sports, uh, as you really get into Uh, the idea of what makes each sport kind of unique about itself, Uh, you'll pick up things that are nuances about the game, or you'll pick up lingo of the commentators. And this morning I want us uh, to think about a a particular phrase that we often might hear as we watch a sport, Uh, and it's something that some of you uh, may have heard as a result to something playing over and over and over again a few years ago. Uh, Some of you may remember, uh, turn your attention to the screen and we'll watch it together. I'm sure that most of you saw that clip at nauseum just a few years ago. But that event, those two hits, were what would be considered and called a game changer. Something that happens that turns the momentum of the game from one team's favor to the favor of another team. In fact, those two hits, not only were they game changers, but they were series changers. In fact, I was talking with somebody just a little bit before service started that really the Cardinals should not have won the 2011 World Series. The game should have been over in game number six, and the Cardinals should have been going on vacation to Florida to play golf. But there was a game changer that took place, and not only did it go to game seven, but what happened? The Cardinals won the World Series, right? A huge event in the life of Cardinals Nation. But I would argue for you, to you this morning that what we're going to look at this morning was a game changer of even greater proportion. Um, we're going to see that this game changer that happens is a game changer based on an encounter with a movement of King Jesus. 
I read this from one of the commentators this week, and it says about the conversion of Saul this. Saul is actually one of the most important events, his conversion, one of the most important events aside from Jesus' resurrection in the history of the world. Let that sink in for just a minute. His conversion is outside of the resurrection of Jesus, one of the most monumental and most influential encounters in the history of the world. It plays a monumental role in the advancement of the kingdom, not only across nations, but across the centuries. And so, in our series, we've been looking at the idea of the making of a movement. And this movement that we've been looking at is one that is a movement of transformation. Together, we're going to see this morning that this transformation is not only one of heart, but of mission, multiplication, and ultimately that of life transformation. So, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really helpful for me to know what a word means before I jump into the, to the context of that particular word. Uh, one of my favorite scenes from any movie is from a great movie. If you've not seen it, you should see it. The Princess Bride. And there's a word that just plays over and over and over again, right? You can say it with me. Inconceivable, right? And then the next line is, I don't think that word means what you think it means. This morning, I want us to know what the word transformed means so that we can see the, the real extent that it plays in the story and then in our story as well. So here's how Webster defines transformed or transformation. It's to change in composition or structure, to change the outward form or the appearance of, or to change in character or condition. I want you to grab a hold of that last uh, definition. To change in character or condition. So this morning we're going to be directing our attention to Acts chapter 9. And so I invite you to turn there if you've not already, whether it's in a hard copy of God's Word or on an electronic copy. But we're going to direct our attention to Acts chapter 9. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, thanks for the day and for the opportunity to gather in Your house. Speak now through Your Word, I pray. Help us to see that You are about transforming lives. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that I want you to notice this morning is this. This movement, this happening, was a transformation of heart. And it plays out in two ways. The first transformation that we'll look at is the transformation of Saul's heart. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1, we read this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he requested letters from him saying that if he found anyone, men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And then the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And so they took him by the hand, and they led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat 
or drink. So we first see that there's a transformation of Saul's heart. You see, Saul had an incredible hunger for the death and the destruction of Christians, of Christianity. It was, it was a passion that just welled up within him because he was a religious man. He was a devout follower of Judaism. And so he was desiring to see this one who was blaspheming God as he saw it to have his followers put to an end. And so if you remember back just a few chapters earlier in the, in the book of Acts, we read in Acts chapter 7 about the stoning of a man named Stephen, right? This first martyr of the faith um, besides Jesus Himself. We find Stephen is put to death for believing that Jesus is the Son of God and declaring that to the people around him. But I don't know if you've caught it, but down toward the bottom of that section, there's just a couple of verses that describe something that's taken place. You're introduced to a young man, his name is Saul, and they, it says that there was a young man named Saul, and they laid their coats at his feet so that he could watch them while they went to stone Stephen. So he was, he was in this group of men who were putting Stephen to death. He, he oversaw it. He was right there championing, championing the, the, the stoning of Stephen. And it's almost as if this is the starting point of Saul going out and deciding that he needs to end the church. You see, following the murder of Stephen, Saul goes on the warpath, going what seems like house to house throughout Jerusalem, imprisoning the followers of Jesus throughout all of Jerusalem. And it's likely that some of those who were facing persecution in Jerusalem made the journey up to Damascus to, to try to get away from the persecution that had come after the death of Stephen. So it was something that, 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 Paul, or that Saul was very passionate about. He, he was going on a hunt to see those who were following Jesus find their end. He was on a hunt not only for those in Jerusalem, but for those in Damascus who followed Jesus. You see, Saul wasn't just rounding up those who were following Jesus in Jerusalem with great intention in that same city, but he was going with great intention to a city that had a large group of Jesus' followers. You see, Damascus was not just a city nearby. It was a 175-mile journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. You had to go there on purpose. You didn't just happen to leave Jerusalem and end up in Damascus. He was going there with great purpose. As Luke would later describe, we see that, that Saul was blinded by hatred. and That blinding had to come off in the form of scales through the revelation of King Jesus in order for him to see clearly who God intended him to be. You see, Saul's eyes had to be opened to the truth of Jesus so that he could open the eyes of others. You flipped over to Acts chapter 26, you would read this account of Saul's conversion. Then I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what has been seen and what I will reveal to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles I now send you to to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are being sanctified. You see, Saul had to have his eyes opened so that he could clearly see his need of a heart change. Saul's encounter with Jesus on the road was a, 
one that where a hater of Jesus and an enemy of God was transformed into an obedient follower of Jesus. In that moment, Saul went from a hater to a lover. And we know this by his obedience. You see, I would argue that we can say all day long that we love someone or something, but until we are willing to obey that someone or something, we really don't love. You see, my, my daughter Julia can all day say, Daddy, I love you. But as long as she continues to disobey, she's really not displaying love. Same for us. If we say to God, I love you, Jesus, I love you, but I don't obey you, we're not displaying any love at all. And so I want you to hold on to that idea because it's going to come back around in just a few verses. When we encounter the real Jesus, like Saul encountered the real Jesus, everything changes. We can't help but stay the same. We can't help and stay the same. We must change to be like Jesus. When we come to Christ, we must bear different fruit. You see, people know who we used to be. And we have to show them the change that Jesus brings. See, don't be fooled. People are watching us. Everywhere we go, everything that we do, people are watching us. When it comes to transformation, oftentimes the tables have to be turned. They have to be flipped upside down. The things that we believe about ourselves, the image that we present to others, our strengths and our weaknesses, they're often turned on their heads. You see, Saul was a strong man, and he was on a mission. He, he was out to encounter these followers of Jesus so that he might imprison them. But when he encountered Jesus, everything changed for him. When he had that encounter with Jesus, he had to be led to the city by the hand, by those who were with him. His strength that he had shown was now weakness when he came into contact with the power of King Jesus. You see, when there's transformation, sometimes things have to be flipped on their head. But that's the exact kind of game changer that Jesus is. John Stott says it this way about our encountering Jesus. We too can and must experience a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Surrender to Him in penitence and in faith and receive his summoned to service, provided that we can distinguish between the historical particular and the universal, and between the dramatic outward accompaniments and the essential inward experience, what happened to Saul remains an instructive case study in Christian conversion. Moreover, Christ's display of unlimited patience toward him was meant to be an encouraging example to others. You see, we must experience the same kind of interaction with Jesus that Saul encountered on the road to Damascus. Now, it might not mean that we have a light encounter where a light shines all around us and we can't help but respond to Jesus and then after that we're blind. It might not be that. In fact, it probably won't be that. But we have to have that same kind of encounter where we see ourselves as we are and, and, and see our desperate need for Jesus. And that is what Stott is reminding us of as he shows us a picture of the transformation of the heart of Saul. The second transformation of heart we see is the transformation of Ananias' heart. 
in verses 10 through 19. Now, this Ananias is not the same Ananias that we read about a few chapters ago who was killed for lying to God. Okay, This is not the same Ananias. This is a different dude who was a follower of Jesus living in Damascus that, that Jesus came and spoke to and said, Ananias, I have a job for you. All right, so this is the guy that we're talking about. In a vision, he is told to go and to lay hands on a man whose name is Saul, who is from Tarsus. Now, Ananias had heard about Saul and that he was seeking the death of Christ followers. It even seems as if Ananias might be throwing up a red flag to God and saying, um, God, are you sure that you want me to go over there and talk to that guy? Do you know what he wants to do? It's almost as if he's having this conversation with God. But notice how quickly the conversation gets back on track uh, when God gets in the picture. God says, now go and do what I've commanded you to do. But I wonder how many of us can associate and, and understand Ananias' thought process. The things that he's feeling. You see, I think that I can put myself right there in the midst of, of the, the same process that Ananias is in. You know, I've heard, well, this person who used to be uh, this, this, this murderer is now a, a, a doctor in the third world country, or this, this cheater uh, is now an honest man, or, or this person who we never thought would come to Jesus has made a, 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 a conversion experience uh, testimony. And, and we begin to question whether or not those things are real. But the question that we have to ask ourselves, just like Ananias had to ask himself, is, is anyone too far for the reach of God? And beloved, the answer to that question is absolutely not. And so, we see that Ananias is sent, and, and God reveals to him the purpose of him being sent. Look back at verse number 15, if you would, of Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and to the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Notice that God chose Saul and called him out. Saul wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't on this great journey deciding how he could find Jesus. And if anyone, us or anyone else for that matter, begins to think that they are seeking God um, or that they have found God on their own, they have a mistaken understanding of the truth that God faithfully pursues us. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says this, God speaking, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. John chapter 12, Jesus speaking in verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. Again, Jesus saying, You did not choose Me in John 15. You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. And then again in John chapter 6, we read that no one can come unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, it's not in our nature to pursue God. It's not in our nature to desire the things of God outside a movement of God Himself within us. And so Saul was not looking for God. He was not pursuing God. And yet, 
God called him out. And God wanted Ananias to know that. In Galatians chapter 1, we also read another account of Paul's conversion. And he tells us that it is only God who can reveal Himself. And it is only He who can call us to salvation. However, while it is God alone who is calling us, He uses the faithful proclamation and the living of others as a tool to point sinners to a Savior. But remember, He alone calls us to salvation. Tony Myrda is a pastor and a professor at Southeastern Seminary, and he says it this way uh, in his book on the letter uh, of Acts. The good news of the Gospel is that God pursues sinner, and Saul was not on a quest to find salvation. He was on a quest to persecute Christians, yet God arrested Saul by His sovereign grace. You see, even though Saul had something else in mind to put Christians into captivity and to arrest them, Jesus came and arrested the heart of Saul to go and to speak truth to those who were in desperate need of salvation. But you see, not only did Saul have a heart change, but Ananias had to have a heart change. So let's see that heart change now together. Even at the risk of great cost to himself, Ananias was obedient to God's call. And it was not a begrudging obedience or an obedience based out of fear, but it was an obedience based out of love for God. But not only for God, but also for Saul. Look how he addressed Saul in the text when he arrives at the house of Judas in verse number 17. He says to him, Brother Saul, Now this was not a greeting that Ananias would have just given to anyone. This was not a, hey man, how you doing? This was an address that would have been been given to a beloved follower of Jesus. To one who was in the faith, not just someone on the side of the road. So not only was Ananias um, speaking to the fact that Paul was indeed, or Saul indeed was converted, but he also was inviting him into the family. He was, he was saying, you are now part of us. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to really understand that because we don't truly understand the cost of following Jesus in this day. It was not unusual for those who followed Jesus to lose everything, to lose their families, to lose their homes, to lose their jobs for following Jesus. And so Saul is being invited in to this family. Now for some of us this morning, we're in need of a heart transformation like Saul. We are far from God, and we need to be redeemed by the power of King Jesus. But for others of us, we are in need of a heart transformation like that of Ananias. You see, we need to see people the way that God sees them. You watched the news last night, you saw that some horrendous things took place this weekend. And there is still great hate surrounding our country, surrounding our world. The question that we must ask ourselves is how do we look at those around us? Can we look at love, look at those who are doing such evil deeds with the love of Christ? Can we, can we say to them, I, I don't agree with you, I don't, I don't think you're right, I think you're, you're dishonoring not only those around you, but you're dishonoring King Jesus. 
um, but He still loves you, desires for you to know Him, for Him to know you. You see, we have to see people the way that God sees them. And that's what had to happen in Ananias' life. He had to have his heart changed so that he could see them the way that God sees them. The power of a heart captured and transformed by Jesus leads to the second transformation that we're going to look at, and it's this, that there's a transformation of mission. An encounter with Jesus leads to a change in direction. We see it beginning in verse number 19. And after this, after his baptism, he took some food and regained his strength, and Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days, and immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. But for all who heard him, they were astounded and said, isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who call on this name, and then came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew more capable and more confounding to the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one, Jesus, is the Messiah. And after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, so that they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Did you notice what happened in verse number 20? It says, And immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. And what did he say? He said, He is, speaking of Jesus, the Son of God. Notice the change of direction and purpose that immediately uh, happens in Saul's life. Saul no longer was hunting the followers of Jesus. He was now recruiting new followers of Jesus. He was now recruiting those to come and to follow King Jesus. Saul began to do what would become his pattern. He began to teach in the synagogues, declaring to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the Son of God. And what did that do? Exactly what that statement used to do in the life of Saul. He stirred up the good Jews to anger and they desired to have Him put to death. So much happened in those few verses. I want you to notice again verse 23. And after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill Him, but their plot became known to Saul so that they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill Him. But his disciples took him by night and they lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Now, you've got to remember what, what Jesus said to Ananias in his vision. Just a few verses earlier. Look back, verse number 15. Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, the kings, and to the Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We don't know exactly how much time passed, but not a whole lot of time has passed from Saul coming to faith in Jesus before there are people ready to kill him for telling them about Jesus. He is already seeing what it's going to cost him to follow Jesus. You see, being part of a movement has great cost. For Saul, it meant that he had to sneak out of the city at night. It would later mean that he'd have to flee Jerusalem. And eventually, he would lose his life for following Jesus. Now, I'm not sure that we as American Christians really know what it means to suffer for Christ. I think we do suffer, but it's not, it's not the same as we see it play out 
in the world around us. For us, following Jesus may mean that we lose friends or, or family members. It may mean that we don't get the promotion at work or that we may be teased for what we believe. And one day, it may even cost us our lives. The world that we live in is quickly changing. And that could be a reality for us even here in America. But regardless of what the outcome is, regardless of whether or not we face persecution like the church uh, around the world has faced or not, we must accept the reality that being part of a movement that is following after Jesus has some kind of a cost. And we have to be willing to pay that cost. The third transformation we're going to look at quickly is this. It's a transformation of multiplication in verse number 31. So the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number. You see, when there's heart change and there's transformation in mission, there's always a transformation in the life of the church as well. There's a transformation that ought to be a transformation of multiplication. Throughout all of the book of Acts, do we... Read about one or two coming to faith in Christ, or do we read about multitudes of people coming to faith in Christ? It's, and 3,000 were added to them that day. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the story of Cornelius. And it says, Cornelius and all of his house came to faith in Christ. It's not a one and two thing. It's a multiplication thing. And that's what was happening in the church at Acts. Even today, this movement is intended to be one that grows by multiplication. As Christians, we should be telling others how they too can know Jesus so that when they receive Jesus as Savior, they'll tell others also. This is to be a never-ending process. But somewhere along the way, we've decided that it's a suggestion. Or it's for some people to do. It's for the pastors to do. It's for, it's for Sunday school teachers to do. No, as followers of Jesus, it is our job to be telling others how they too can know Jesus. Beloved, what would our church, our community, and world look like if we were active multiplication agents for the kingdom? What would our church, what would our community, and what would our world look like if we were active agents of multiplication for the kingdom of God? What would it look like? Well, church, we're just about done, and so I'm going to invite you, if you would, to grab your Connect card right now, and you'll see there at the bottom, uh, my next step is to, and I'm going to give you just a few next steps as we wrap up. So I want to close us like I started, and I want us to think about the reality that each of us is faced with things that have the potential to be game changers in our lives. Some of us are looking to start again. We've made a mess of our lives and we feel like there's no hope. You've heard nothing else that I have to say this morning. Hear this. Jesus came to be the game changer that you need. He came to be the game changer that you need. He desires to transform your heart if you'll let Him. You might this morning even have the courage to take your Connect card and just 
Mark there, I need a transformation of heart like that. I need Jesus to show up and be the game changer in my heart. Others of us are in need of a game changer to help us see others like Jesus sees them. We need the transformation of heart that Ananias experienced where we will see people in their great need and offer them the game change that Jesus brings. We may this morning need to ask God to show us the biases that we have that cause us to write certain people off or to act as if they are too far for God to reach. Still others may need to have a game changer moment when they commit themselves to joining this movement. You see, it's really easy for us to sit on the sidelines and say, well, I trust Jesus, I love Jesus, as long as I can do it right here in this place. So I don't have to go out of my comfort zone, so I don't have to do something that's hard, so I don't have to fill in the blank. See, we need to join the movement. This is a movement that's all about sharing Jesus with others. What a game changer it is when Christians get out of their comfort zones and to begin to engage the world around them with the good news of Jesus. So my question this morning for you is this. It's a simple one. How is Jesus going to be the game changer in your life today? Is it to give you a new heart like He gave Saul? Forgiving your sin? Is it giving you a new heart for people like He did Ananias? Is it showing you clearly the mission? Is it that you need to join the movement? Whatever it is, how is Jesus going to be the game changer for you today? Let's pray together. Jesus, would you in this moment step into our lives and be the game changer that we are needing You to be in this moment. Father, would You speak to us and show us our great need. That area of our lives where You desire to be a game changer, God, would You come and be that change for us today. Father, give us great courage, great obedience to follow You and to do what it is that You're calling us to do. Father, these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.